This is the Cross of Grace Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. On March 8, 2020, we gathered to worship on the second Sunday in Lent. Pastor Aaron Stamper preached on Nicodemus visiting Jesus as told in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, "Uh, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, after probably chuckling to himself, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from where it has come or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ, and the Holy Spirit who unites us in faith. Amen. Ah, John 3.16. The most infamous passage in Christian scripture. We see it everywhere, right? We see it at signs, at sporting events with uh, John 3.16 in big letters. We can buy gold jewelry or rubber wristbands with the verse inscribed on it. And the average Christian who has memorized any verses in the Bible has probably memorized this one. And if we had to boil down the entirety of Christian Scripture into one verse, this would be perhaps our best option. After all, we as Christians are called to proclaim the good news. And John 3.16 is certainly good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. It's a good verse. But if there's one thing that we as Christians should not do, it's try to boil down all of Scripture into one verse. 
One verse is not a comprehensive theology. One verse is not a complete picture of God. One verse cannot describe how crazy in love God is with us. One verse cannot really address any of our questions. One verse can't really help us understand how we're supposed to relate to other people. One verse is not fertile soil for deep spirituality. When we look at John 3.16 by itself, as most do, it's easy to get the impression that faith is about our choice to believe. If we believe, then we will have eternal life. Which puts the responsibility on our shoulders. So I ask you, is that good news? Is it good news if our salvation depends entirely on our decision to believe or not? I suppose for most of us, if we're honest, it depends on what kind of day we're having. If we're having a day where we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, there's some comfort to be had there. On other days when we feel like we can't do anything right, well, that's not good news. I tend not to hear this as good news. In fact, I am often terrified by this verse in isolation. What if I mess up? Big time. What if I keep making the same poor decisions? What if I doubt God's grace or question God's activity in the world? Am I risking salvation in doing so? Now, from what I can tell, these questions frustrated Martin Luther also. He never felt like his faith was good enough. His faith always needed another coat of paint, another good scrub down. It was never clean enough. It was always a little too messy for his liking. And if you've lived like that long enough, it tends to sever the relationship with God that you were so concerned about in the first place. I would posit that Luther was a victim of one-verse Christianity. His first several years spent as a monk were spent believing that God demanded perfection from him. It wasn't until Luther read the entire New Testament for himself later that he began to hear a new message. The message that the Christian faith is all about what God has done for us. Not anything we need to do to appease God. And such a revelation was only possible when he began to look at the context of all these verses that he had been hearing. I mean, it's amazing how the focus shifts even when you add just the second verse, right? John three seventeen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I've often wondered why people don't hold up signs that say John three sixteen through 17. It's not as catchy, and maybe the writing's too big. But when you add 17 to the mix, you get a, well, a different perspective, different context. The verse underscores that it is God, not you or I, who has decided our salvation. 
This is the good news that Luther had been waiting for. This is the type of good news that ultimately freed him from the clutches of a fictional, abusive God and allowed him to embrace God's very real love. Now, of course, a two-verse faith is not really that much better than a one-verse faith. There's more that we need to look at, so let's look at what else the gospel writer had to say. These two verses are set up by the story of the Pharisee Nicodemus, the one who can't quite get his mind around the idea of literally being born again from his mother's womb. Now, Nicodemus is a religious teacher who approaches Jesus and calls him teacher. That's a term of respect, but it's a term that falls short of its mark. For Jesus is more than someone who is teaching about the way and the truth and the life. Of course, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Now, Jesus has a fundamental problem with Nicodemus' assertion that teaching about God, teaching about God, is the primary function of one who professes to follow God. The primary function, as Jesus states, is to live the kind of life that Jesus lives which is only possible if one is born again. That is, one who invites and cooperates with the Holy Spirit's work of forming one's life into a Christ-like life. Or in other terms, the waters of baptism sweep us away from the mundane, surface-level, run-of-the-mill, just-like-everyone-else way of life and carry us into a life oriented around concern for higher things. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's looking for something. We're not told exactly what he's looking for, but he's curious enough about Jesus that what he does is he sneaks off in the cover of darkness, alone, which means he's looking for something beyond what his intellect, his religion, or his peers had come to offer him. He needs more than one verse. So Jesus tells him the whole story. God is love. And that love is being lived out in real time through the words and the actions of Jesus. And the Spirit will help Nicodemus live a life fueled by and directed by that same love. Now Nicodemus must have accepted this invitation and believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Because the last we hear of Nicodemus, if you recall, is when he comes to help Joseph of Arimathea properly care for Jesus' dead body. Now listen, at this point, he, Nicodemus, could have looked at Jesus' gruesome end and said to himself, well, apparently that guy didn't know what he was talking about. But instead, he was able to look at Jesus' bloody body and see that Jesus was right all along. Now that is a gift of the Spirit. That is an action that springs from a loving heart. 
That is a faith that is willing to stare death in the face and declare that it is powerless in the face of God's eternal love. So if being able to do that is what it all means to be saved, may we all be swept away by the waters of the Spirit. For that is where our only true hope for the world resides. Amen.